You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is an Australian freelance writer, blogger, and author with more than 20 years professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 43 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm an author and journalist and founder of the Australian Writers' Centre, and I'm here with the wonderful Alison Tate. And Alison, if you had three words to describe yourself, what would you say? Oh, goodness. Um, Put you on the spot, spot, didn't I? I am an author, I am a journalist, and I am tired. (laughs) <laughs> Why are you tired, Al? Oh, because it's the end of the year and I've got, you know, I've got grumpy children and grumpy everything, grumpy dog even. Procrasty Pop's a little grumpy at the moment. I think he's dog... feeling the pressure. How can your dog be grumpy? Dog's well, you know, I think he just needs, to, he needs the school term to be over. That's it. Like right. the rest of us, he needs the school term to be over. Anyway, you, let's not talk you, about the dog. We're here to talk saying, about writing. Well, before we talk about writing, are you saying it's actually less stressful in the school holidays? Yeah. Is it? Yes. Okay. It is. I mean, it has its moments because I have to work around them and they're here. But it is the fact that we don't have to all get out the door and we don't all have to. There's, they get so tired by the end of the year that mm. they're just revolting. So okay. they all need to have a good rest and then hopefully we'll be right. Okay. Hmm. So what have you been up to this week? Oh, this week, what have I been doing? Uh, I'm proofreading book two of the Mapmaker Chronicles um, still. I'm working on the structural edit for book three still. I handed in a manuscript last Friday to my agent, which is a new um, women's fiction novel that I've written. Exciting. Well, yeah, it is exciting. I'm sort of, you know, I've got my fingers crossed. I haven't got any feedback on that yet. So, you know, she may well hate it, in which case, you know, back to the drawing board. But nonetheless, I've I've done that. And... um, yeah, pretty much just looking forward to um, hitting those calm blue waters of January where I'm not going to be doing very much at all. Oh, and you? Nice. What are you up to? What have I been up to? Well, last night I was, uh, you know, tooling around on the internet. As you do. <laughs> and I got a bit emotional actually, oh. interestingly, because I saw a tweet from a lovely woman called Neve Griffin and um, she and it was it's it's just an interesting story which I hope you'll indulge me in uh, and she tweeted you know because she's a journalist in Ireland and she covers healthcare and a, a number of different beats and um, I actually met her a few years ago now <laughs> this is just one of those strange moments of serendipity I had been really bored one Sunday afternoon and I was watching Foxtel and I became mesmerised by this documentary. It was narrated by Jason Statham, who I like, (laughs) and um, it was actually about uh, kickboxing in Thailand, of all things. And I became so engrossed in this uh, documentary on kickboxing in Thailand that I was – and it it tracked – like a Thai kickboxer, you know, this um, Irish uh, lady who was kickboxing in Thailand, an American guy who was kickboxing, all training at a, at a gym there. And I became so inspired. I was immediately Googling 
kickboxing or boxing classes and that's when I actually started boxing. And I... I would never necessarily compete or go to Thailand and and train like these people, but uh, it it, re- it was just so inspirational to me that it really set me down a path that I've you know thoroughly enjoyed ever since. Um, and months later, you know, or maybe even a year later, I was standing in the training rooms of the Australian Writers Centre. I was teaching magazine writing, and we all do our introductions around the class, all the students. And this Irish lady starts talking and she talks about how, you know, she's not a writer. She's been teaching English in Thailand and learning kickboxing. And I just said to her, were you in a documentary? And I described (laughs) the whole documentary to her. And she went, yes, that was me. And... It was this this bizarre moment of kind of mutual inspiration because her story really inspired me to take up boxing. And um, as a result, so she ended up doing our course, magazine writing, and I ended up um, passing on some, you know, gigs to her and introducing her to one of her first editors. And she's now this journalist. And she, when she tweeted the other night, this all kind of, this whole memory came flooding back to me. And um, we sort of exchanged a few tweets tweets to each other and I was saying how inspirational she was and she was saying, you know, she would never have become a journalist if it wasn't for the Australian Writers' Centre. I started getting a bit emotional. Oh, so, you Valerie, know. look at you inspiring the world. God oh, love you. My students inspire me, you know. I went to her webpage and she's done so well since then. So she's an incredible journo now in Ireland. But anyway, Fantastic. that's my little story for the day. Excellent. I love your stories of the day. So let's see what's been happening in the world of writing and blogging and publishing this week. Hmm. I came across an interesting link uh, and it's about the British government and how they've now they've delivered this missive. Uh, the officials have been if issued with an online style guide that says to them what's acceptable and what isn't. So what they've they've kind of done is tried to weed out all the weasel words and all of the, you know, corporate speak and all that stuff that, people don't uh, that don't doesn't really mean anything Mm. so they no longer are allowed to say deliver you know it it, it points out that pizzas and the post are delivered uh but not not abstract concepts like improvements or priorities they can no longer drive anything unless it's cattle or foster anything unless it's children goodness and you know uh there will be no more advancing collaborating combating or pledging and people will no longer be no longer be empowered and government will no longer facilitate while even oh. ministers will not be focusing on areas of policy so more than 30 terms of jargon that have crept into government announcements have been Kiboshed, placed off limits. Right. So it's interesting that because the Star Guide's been created by the team who put together the government's new website, you know, gov.uk. Yeah. And, uh, hope, you know, hopefully it's uh, been put together by people who hate these bar- buzzwords and hate this jargon and hopefully peop- uh, the people um, who are following it actually do follow it because, you know, as we know, a lot of these buzzwords literally don't mean anything. 
No, I'm sort of keen because I'm looking at some of the words that are out. And for example, my one of my least favourite terms is this whole business of let's have a dialogue about that. Oh. Um, or, you know, I'll get my people to call your people and we'll set up a dialogue. And <laughs> I, it just it drives me crazy. And that's off the list, which I think is fantastic. I also mm-hmm. like the fact that the progress as a verb, you know, we're going to progress that is is off the list. I think that's great. I'd also like to, you know what else, the other word I'd like to see gone is gift as a verb, as in we're going to gift you with that I, I really know. dislike that yes um, so yeah so I'm, I'm all for it and I see that hilariously that going forward is also going so I'm I'm um yeah look you know what I'm more power to them I think it should be banned everywhere mm. one thing that I can't stand but maybe they don't do this in England so it's not on the list but anytime you watch Fox Sports or any sports show they always say that you know Michael Clark is on the improve Yes, on the improve. Oh my god! You're not not happy me. with the on the improve. No, I must be bonkers. <laughs> oh dear! All yes, right. oh dear. But let's move on to another link, and it's called a bit of good news about journalism. So we oh, like yay. that. Yes, this link is actually from the New Yorker, and it's basically about the fact that many of uh, on, many online publications are thriving. So while people might think, you know, print is dead or, you know, can online work, it seems, according to this article anyway, that many online news providers are going very well and that they're basically um, thriving at many publications that are still widely regarded as old media, like the New York Times and other uh, major newspapers. Their digital subscriptions are actually rising steadily, which is interesting because, um, I'm not sure whether that's necessarily the case in Australia. Hopefully it is and hopefully, and if not, hopefully it catches up to that. Uh, but, yeah, what do you think? Well, I, I love the fact that, you know, like as they say, um, subscription-funded journalists are beholden to readers mm-hmm. whereas advertising-funded journalists are beholden to advertisers, page view metrics and social media algorithms. So I think the more people that are willing to subscribe to a newspaper, like the, there's always going to be journalism in some form and I think the fact that more people are realising that it's worth paying for a credible source is a good thing. As long as the source is credible, I think people yeah. are willing to do that because you only have to to follow any kind of crisis, you know, on Twitter or whatever, you know, in any kind of crisis to know that you, you're you never quite sure where the information is coming from and people will always go to what they consider to be a trusted source. So you find yourself at the ABC and you find yourself at, you know, Fairfax or wherever you are, whatever your particular, you know, credible source might be, yeah. um, you do find yourself there looking for facts and that's what people actually want and I think there's more and more people looking for facts rather than opinion. And yeah. I think that the more that that is the case, then journalism can only be on the rise again. Yeah. Myself. And, and I think what's interesting is also the new models of funding because um, I'm thinking of the serial podcast which yes. has been put out by This American Life and is uh, addictive and uh, about – it's tw- it's going to be a 12-episode series and it, at about episode maybe eight or so, they asked for money to crowdfund ser- series two. Right. And they got more than enough than they needed. But obviously there were people who are willing to, to fund it, you know, normal people who were willing to pay and um, uh, make sure that series two gets funded. So – which is just an innovative way of funding your work. Definitely. Definitely. Um, What else have you got for me, Valerie? What else? Oh, an interesting one I found, um, and this is from a blog called The Learner's Way, but it's 
It's about the fact that Finland, as in the country Finland, recently made the news for its decision to shift away from a focus on handwriting. So from 2006, students will not be required to learn cursive handwriting and instead will be taught typing skills. So, you know, I mean, when you learnt cursive writing, do you remember writing between those lines and having the slanty stuff I behind? I got it all wrong. And I had, my writing was backhand and I was sent to the back of the class and I had to start again and that oh. I'm I'm pretty sure that's one of the reasons my writing is so incredibly horrible now. But anyway. How do you, how do you get it wrong? Did you slant it the wrong way? I write, yeah, they called it backhand. So, you know, you're supposed to slant to the right. My writing yeah. slanted to the left and I got in trouble for that and then I had oh. to relearn it. And so now my writing is this horrible mix of half cursive, half print. Yeah, it's wow. terrible. And mostly straight lines. Like I can read it but nobody else can. <laughs> it's no good. So typing, you- typing saved me. So you're, 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 you agree with this then? Well, I do. Do you know why? Because, to, because with so much of what we do being digital and so much of what we do being online and, you know, people tend to respond via text, they tend to respond via email. Um, I do think that being able to type is a huge bonus for kids now. So, you know, like they're talking about putting the NAPLAN online, you know, yeah. I, you know from third grade up. So I, I'm actually buying my boys for Christmas, don't tell them, but I'm buying them a typing tutor because I think that if you can touch type, oh. it's a huge advantage going into high school because you can get your assignments done quicker if you can type. You're not doing this, yes. you know, two-finger business that they're mostly doing. So, yeah, I'm getting them a, the Mavis Beacon. My oh, Mavis Beacon. Mavis Beacon. I'm getting them Mavis for Christmas because I just think that because it's like a game and yes. then they learn how to type. I, I honestly think learning to type at 18 was one of the best things I ever did. Mm, I learned on Mavis Beacon. Yeah. We mm. learned at home with Mavis and then I went to actually, I went to business college and learned to type, you know, properly. I also mm. used to be able to do 110 words a minute shorthand, but I don't do that anymore. Oh my God. I know. I was on fire. But now I think I pretty much type at 110 words a minute. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So, you know, that helps. But, yeah, look, I just think um, I think you've got to basically go with the times and unfortunately the times are more towards typing than they are towards handwriting. Mm-mm. Myself. Well, my, my thought on it, I disagree slightly, mm-hmm. uh, my thought on it is why can't you just freaking learn both? Really, it's not that hard. Typing's not that hard and handwriting's not that hard. No, but I guess it's a time, it's, well, it's a time thing. Like the, I don't, the school curriculum is so incredibly crowded now. Like I can't tell you, like they're teaching kids to brush their teeth at school. Um, <laughs> there is so much on the school curriculum that there's only so much time and you say it's not that difficult but it does take up a fair amount of time learning to write, like learning to do cursive and learning to type is a lot of practice. Like mm. to do it well it takes time. So I think it's a time thing. I think you've got to work out where where are you best to prioritise the kids' time. And for me, I'd, I'd actually prefer typing. Printing, like learn to print and then learn to learn to type. That's my thinking on it. Okay. All right. So we'll move on then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yes, before move. we get aggressive about it. Yeah, Good idea. Right. Okay. There's a short little interview on Digital Book World, uh, five digital publishing questions for Seth Godin. Now, many people love Seth Godin, others can't understand why he is treated with the godlike status that he is. But um, there's no doubt that he is one of the world's greatest marketers or certainly one of the most well-known marketers and um, has has had a very huge background in publishing. So I think that one of the interesting things that Seth says in this uh, Q&A 
is, um, for me, he says this, and I quote, for me, the most think-worthy event of 2014 was the clarion wake-up call for book publishers. Time to decide who your customer is. Is it the bookstore or the New York Times or Amazon or the reader? And that's a really good point, don't you think, Al? Because they're, they're, they, all, they all require such different strategies. They do. The way you market to the reader is totally different than if you want to get a ranking on the New York Times, which is totally different if you want to game the system on Amazon and get a ranking on Amazon. Yeah, it is completely different. And I think that it's, um, it's been one of the biggest conundrums that publishers have had to, pa- have had to face over the last few years because mm. Amazon, of course, and self-publishers do generally tend to go, well, self-publishers will go through Amazon and, and use that system to get to readers and they would say that they are talking directly to readers, whereas publishers have always in the past, um, they talk to bookshops and mm. bookshops talk to readers. And, you know, it's that whole thing of whether or not they can continue to do that given the online model is now, you know, becoming far more prevalent. Um, so I don't know what the answer to that is, Val. <laughs> I, really I think that it's actually four times as hard for publishers uh, than before. Maybe not four times, but it's certainly a lot harder because in ha- instead of just having one strategy, they now have to have so many different strategies because there's so many other factors in play. So yeah. it's the publishers who get that. It doesn't actually have to be hard. You just need to learn the skills. Once you learn the skills, it's not rocket science. You need you just need to have the brains to have the right strategy and implement it. So right. it's, it's the publishers who actually they, uh, will understand what those skills and strategies need to be uh, who are going to succeed more than the other. Going forward, that's right. Oh, so, I just used it. Going forward, and it's, oh, it's off the list. Oh, no. Well, let's Disaster. just pro- let's just progress this conversation. Let's, let's on progress to, this dialogue. <laughs> on this dialogue, to that. the world of blogs, and I want to expand that to the world of blogs and podcasts and YouTube, actually, because um, when I was interviewed by the ABC recently, they asked me if you know podcasts with the new blogs and that they are they experiencing a renaissance and I mean I certainly believe that podcasts have rocketed in popularity um, and thank you to all the listeners who's, who've helped that with this podcast Definitely. Uh, and but not just podcasts people are also turning to uh, online video because I didn't used to watch a lot of online video but I know that I watch a little bit more than ever before but what occurred to me last night Al and oh, I don't know right. if you know this was this like a midnight revelation kind of yeah um was people unless you uh, purposely hide it with in your YouTube settings people can see your viewing history which is fine if you've got, you know, if your viewing history is, um, well, depending on what your viewing history is, but it, your viewing history obviously says a lot about you. And it occurred to me that if people saw my viewing history, they would see a lot of cat videos. <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> videos of, of Sophia, Grace and Rosie. <laughs> right. And, you know, the occasional videos of... Um, you know, some authors that I'm interested in, which is pretty harmless. But there are some people who have not so harmless viewing histories. So there is a way that you can hide your viewing history so other people can't see it. But I think that not that many people uh, know that um, uh, that this is the case. Did you know? No, I didn't know because, I, I mean, to be honest with you, I don't watch a lot of YouTube. I'm not, I'm not a huge video fan because – 
um, video to me has a set time. You know, it ta- if the video is 17 minutes, it's going to take you 17 minutes to watch it and I don't always have the 17 minutes. Mm. Whereas if I read the blog pass, post, it doesn't take me that long at all and I can skim through and I can pick out the bits that I want to see and the bits that I don't. Mm. Um, but my, having said that, my YouTube viewing history would actually be quite entertaining because my really? computer is used by my whole family for um, <laughs> for, for the viewing of of uh, YouTube. So you would have probably a lot of How to Minecraft and some mm-hmm. Boom Beach and a little bit of uh, Clash of Clans perhaps. You would have um, my husband, the builder, likes to watch uh, uh, YouTube, um, you know, what do you call them, video clips, music clips. Oh, so yes. there's a lot of that sort of thing. There's a lot of how to animate and Lego and, you know, it's it's really like oh. quite an interesting thing um, but it's got nothing to do with me. <laughs> I wonder if we'll ever get to the stage where potential employers will start looking up your viewing history on YouTube to see what kind of videos, you know, to look at your areas of interest or your priorities. Well, possibly they would and they mm. would think that I was a game head. A yes, head. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our writer in residence this week. I'm very excited about uh, this interview with Bernadette Schwert. Now, Bernadette, as you know, is one of our wonderful presenters at the Australian Writers' Centre and she's teaching the new copywriting course. Uh, and so we chat to Bernadette. Um, she's got such an interesting background and career because she used to be, I mean, well, she still is, in fact, an actor, but she makes a very lucrative income as a copywriter as well. So we talked to, and, we, and I know we get a lot of um, uh, questions and emails from people and from graduates uh, about how to break into copywriting. So um, let's have a listen to Bernadette. Thanks. Bernadette Schwert is founder of the Australian School of Copywriting and has trained over 5,000 people in the art of writing words that sell. She's also a presenter at the Australian Writers' Centre. Bernadette is the author of the best-selling manual, Writing for Profit. She has a Bachelor of Business in Marketing and is an accredited MBTI and NLP practitioner. She was also an account director with advertising agency Wonderman Cato Johnson and the marketing reporter on Channel 9's Small Business Show. Currently, she's the producer and host of the Sydney Morning Herald's online video series, Secrets of Aussie Online Entrepreneurs, and her book of the same name is due out in May 2000. 2015. She has trained individuals and teams from a wide range of companies, including AMP, Red Cross, Coles, McDonald's, Australian Conservation Foundation, Scoop On, and dozens of others. So, thank you for joining us today, Bernadette. It's a pleasure. So you're a copywriter. Now, for listeners who aren't sure, because you hear this word copywriting and you, sometimes you don't quite know what it is, can you tell us what a copywriter actually does? Absolutely. And it is one of those uh, words that confuses people. People often think it's trademark or intellectual property and they start telling me about their invention and how they can <laughs> reserve. I said, no, no, actually, I don't do that. What I do is I write words that sell. And so we've got a job to do. It's a very commercial job in the sense that you've got to get a result from whatever you write. And it might be to make people buy something. It might make, um, you might want to get a, an opinion changed to get people to think differently. And it could be commercial, like it might be you want people to buy a book from an online store, it might be download this PDF or, you know, attend this event. And it can also be on a social level too in that we're not all about, you know, um, commercialism, but, you know, might be stop 
drink driving. It might be, you know, wear a seatbelt. It might be um, workplace safety. So it has lots of social um, benefits as well. It's really about influence. And, um, you know, I often ask my, my students in workshops, I'll say, so who's a copywriter? And no one puts up their hand. Then I'll say, does anyone write an email to get people to come to something? Do you write a proposal to get your boss to approve a budget case? Do you write the Christmas party flyer? And, you know, the hands go up. I say, look, we're all really in the business of copywriting because we're all in the business of influence. So I think that's probably a good way of describing it. And also to think it's not just about the written work. Word. It's about the words you use in a meeting or in a presentation or in a phone call because we're ultimately wanting to get a response in our favour. So it's about writing words that get people to do something in a sense. Absolutely. So I know that you've done quite a few different careers or you combine a few different careers. So can you tell us how you got into copywriting? Yes, well, it all began really with um, a business degree that I started in uh, University of South Australia and from there, I, st I studied marketing as my major, and then I went to live in the United States. I got a job, and I worked in an advertising agency there, as well as for a, a company called Unisys, which was a big American company, and got a really strong foundation in uh, in the principles of business. And, and I was quite young at the time, but they gave me a lot of work that was really beyond my ability and beyond my confidence. And so I kind of stepped up. So when I came back to Australia, I, I got a really good job um, with Young and Rubicum, which was an ad agency, and uh, I worked in their direct marketing arm, which is called Wonderman Cater Johnson, and I was very you know, well-versed in this company with direct marketing. That was the direct marketing arm, and we were all about measurement and the relationship marketing and really knowing people's names and their birthdays and their kids' names, and this was a while back, so... It set me up in a really good way for where we are now, which is all about measurement. And then bubbling underneath all this was this passion I had for acting, and I always wanted to be an actress as a kid. And when I said to my parents, you know, what do I want to be? And I said, an actor, they kind of went, oh, no, <laughs> five years at a girls' school, you know, to be an actor. And um, so I said, well, look, I'll do a backup career, you know, and that was business. And then I saw this job advertised at with the Harry M. Miller Group, which for those who don't know, he's um, an impresario, a theatrical producer and very flamboyant and very you know, infamous slash famous. And interestingly, I got the job because I applied and I wrote a proposal on how I could market one of his clients who was Gough Whitlam <laughs> and was in the business of celebrity management. And it was really the first inkling, Valerie, that I thought, wow, words can really make a difference because I got the job because of the proposal that I wrote. It wasn't just an application. And then I got the job and then I was um, involved with sponsorship proposals, bringing in money to um, put on his big musicals like Jesus Christ Superstar. And again, another really clear indication of the power of words for me because on the back of these proposals, you know, we were bringing in literally, you know, millions of dollars of sponsorship, but it couldn't have happened without the proposal. Now, clearly, Harry Miller was, you know, an amazing negotiator and it wouldn't have happened without him, but everyone needs a document because when people walk into a meeting and they have a really good presentation, the first thing they say is, send me something. Yeah. And so, you know, that little expression of send me something, that now begins the written word element. So that was kind of, you know, an inkling for me that words have power. And then um, I decided I'm going to go for the acting thing and I went out and auditioned for all the drama schools and I got into Victorian College of the Arts. And to support myself, I set up a consultancy as a marketing consultant. And while I was doing that, I noticed that I, I was giving away the copywriting work because I wasn't a copywriter. You know, I wasn't a creative. I was always this account service person. I had very much this box around what I could do. 
And then I discovered, you know, wow, I'm giving this work to all my friends, but I think I could give it a go. So I did and I sort of stumbled through it and I didn't learn it. I had, you know, I was obviously working with, within the advertising arena, but I didn't really have the training. And that's when I discovered, look, I can do this. And then I started up a course of training people because um, someone came to me and said, we need a training course. So that's kind of how the, the training side of the copywriting got going. So I had these two parallel careers of an acting career, uh, working in Neighbours and Blue Heelers and Around the Twist and Winners and Losers and Jack Irish and all these interesting shows. And I sort of had this other career, which was very strong marketing and training business. So uh, I guess that the formative moment happened though when I had my son and uh, I realised, wow, I'm not going to be able to travel and do the work that I've been doing. And it only hit me, you know, six months into the pregnancy. I was a pretty, pretty slow learner. I think my life is about to change here. And so I thought, well, I've got to get clear about, well, why don't I do a home study? Because people would say to me, look, you do it in Melbourne and Sydney, occasionally Adelaide, but, you know, we're, we're in Brisbane or we're in Perth or wherever, we, we can't get to you. So I thought, well, why don't I do a home study? And it was really a bit of a wing and a prayer. I didn't know if I had the demand for it, but I thought, no, I'll write the manual and I'll see if it sells. So I wrote it and I built a website. And this back in 2006 when things were really kind of new in the internet world and, and it was really quite a, a, one of those moments. And I woke up one morning and there was money in my account of people who bought my course overnight who I'd never met and never spoken to. And I'm thinking, this is incredible. This is the power of words, you know, just for words on a page, people will actually do something. And that's where my online marketing career began and that's where I got really interested in how do you get on Google, you know, how do you get people to buy off, you know, off the internet. So that's kind of where I stand today, Valerie, in some respects. So I know that's a very long-winded answer, but I've, <laughs> I've had lots of different careers. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about the course, which is very exciting because we'll be, we're going to be presenting this course together. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but first I just would like to give people a bit more of an idea of the kinds of projects that you've worked on. Like, what kinds of clients, what kinds of, you know, what are you actually writing as a yeah. copywriter? Yeah, you'd be amazed how diverse it is and it can be as simple as a postcard and then it can go right up to a whole suite of content. So just as an example, um, there's an SMSF financial planner and he runs a business and he needs all his marketing materials created. So from the website to the webinars to the um, video testimonials to the social media content. Um, so, you, you know, you might get some clients who want you to do everything. And then, for example, I'm big in sponsored content, so I've created an online video series. And um, so I go out and shoot interviews with interesting people of entrepreneurs and then clients might want to be a part of that and that they create we create content for them that's sort of slightly editorial, but it's sponsored in that, uh, you know, they get a promotion through that. That's a really growing area, sponsored content. And then it might be, there's a big hamburger manufacturer, which I won't name because I can't, but, um, you know, there aren't that many, but we basically, they have all these competitions, as you know, and so we'd be engaged to write the back end for the all the prizes, describing those prizes. It might be telling people how to play the game. It might be doing all the terms and conditions so that people understand what the legalities are. Um, it'd be doing sort of the website copy so when people, you know, move through page to page, um, they understand how the, how the game proceeds. So there's that sort of you know, really interesting content. And then it might be something quite technical. Um, we have a company, it's an engineering firm, and they do big, big projects like desalination plants and gas 
plants, power, fact, you know, power stations and bridges. And what they want to is case studies that demonstrate their um, product in action because it's very technical and it's very hard to get a handle on, well, how do they fit into the bigger picture? So we'll do case studies saying, well, this is the project, this was the problem, and this is how this company played a part in the solution. So we might just some really lovely, light, but um, you know, detailed case studies of how that company um, you know, can help other companies. So it it, it's, it's really broad, Valerie, and that's what I love about it. I think that's what attracts a lot of people to it is the variety that if you're one of those people, which I am, that I like short, sharp and shiny. I go in, I go deep, and then I move on. You know, unlike lawyers say, where they might spend years with a case, you know, and every day they're working on the case, that's not me. And generally copywriters love the variety and the quick in and out nature of something. And even if you do have an ongoing client, you might not be working on them every day. So it's a lovely, interesting job for people who, who like things to move quickly. So it is really diverse because I think a lot of people who I come across uh, think copywriting is really specifically about writing ads, like the ads that you see on TV or the ads that you see you know, in glossy pages of magazines. Because, I mean, I grew up watching Bewitched and I used to watch Darren and Larry <laughs> present, their, <laughs> present their ad campaigns. And now you see it even in Mad Men, you know, and... and and they present their ad campaigns on these big boards and um, and it's usually just a line and a slogan. So obviously it's it's more than that kind of thing. It's a really good point and Bewitch was my inspiration. <laughs> I mean, I love Larry Tate. You know, I wanted to be Larry Tate. Yes. And, uh, and I think a generation of advertising people were inspired by Bewitch and, you know, it, and Mad Men and it's not that far removed but this is a, this called above the line in that it is ad agency work and so often it is those big branding concepts um, but below that there's a world of material that has to be written. You think about the e-books, the white pages, the webinars, the YouTube video scripts, uh, all the email, the EDMs, the electronic direct mailers that go out, you know, literally oodles of content, not to mention websites that have to be written by somebody somewhere. And so really those one-liners and the ads you see in the papers and the 30-second ads you see on TV and radio, they are really the tip of the iceberg. And there's all these small businesses out there. And when I say small, I don't mean micro, but I mean people with 100 employees turning over 50 million to $100 million. They need copy. They need material to promote themselves, be it this, the sales brochure or the scope brochure or their manuals written. So, you know, there's enormous diversity within that and it's not just your one-liners. Um, but that's, that's appealing to people because they think, I could write that, you know, <laughs> I could do that. And you, they'd be amazed to see the constraints and how hard it is to write just a one-liner. In fact, you know, Mark Twain said, I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have the time. Yes. And it's really true. Anyone can write a whole, you know, 30-page doctorate. You know what I mean? They can write a yeah. lot. But writing 50 words, that's hard. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned earlier that, you know, that you started off in the early days of the internet and so much has changed. I met you, I think, nine years ago for the first time. And so much has changed even in that time because of the internet. In your experience since you've been in this industry, what have been the key changes and how has that impacted the kind of work that you do as a copywriter? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's a huge impact. I mean, 
I think you'll agree with this value. We live in a transformational time. I've been in business for 25 years and I've never seen the changes uh, that are occurring now and the impact they're having. So I'll give you a quick example. You think about content marketing. Now, that was a term that was not used, I don't even think, five to ten years ago. Now, it's everywhere and content creation, you know, that is really a copywriter. But the way it's playing out is really interesting and it's because of the internet, it's because of a whole bunch of stuff. But I'll give an example. In the old days, what I call the old days, even prior to the websites, we had direct mail, we had sales, we had radio, TV, press, print. And, you know, when you put out something, people responded to that ad and they might have rung up and then they would be put onto a salesperson or they'd be sent a brochure. And then from there, you might get a call from a sales rep and then you might go to a shop and buy it. That was pretty much the path to purchase. Now, you think about it, you might go to a website because of an email that you've received. So you go to the website, you think this is interesting, I'm, I'm, I'm liking it, I want it. But, you know, I don't quite know that organisation or that brand or that person enough to trust them to make a decision. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to see if there's anything I can find about them. It might be a white paper, it might be a webinar, it might be, um, you know, a, a slide deck. So people are actually looking for this, in, I call it the in-between medium, where they want something to go on with so they can learn a little bit more about this company. And that's become the sort of the the, the step that they need to take in order to get to the purchase. So this world, which is this middle world, which I call content marketing, is exploding because people just will not buy based on an email or a brochure or a sales call. They want something in between to learn about the company, to build the trust, to, to understand the personality behind the company. So, you know, what do you stand for? Um, you know, what have you been doing? And, and you know, wh why would I buy from you versus somebody else? So, it's that's just one example, Valerie, of how, of how it's changed. Yeah. So, what would you say the demand is like? Do you think that there, if somebody is thinking of, you know, maybe they're a freelance writer already, but they haven't really delved into the world of copywriting, but they think that they may have the skills. If they're thinking of getting into that into that career, what is what can they expect in terms of their demand, the demand for copywriting services? Yeah, look, if you look at the, the, the example I just gave and you think about all the content that has to be created in order to even just get to people considering you, e-books, uh, as I said, the webinars, the videos, um, the, the, web, the, the websites themselves, someone has to create that and not just create it, but you have to write it in a certain way that it gets onto page one of Google or it gets people's attention because there's a sea of content out there. We're drowning in it. So the content that's going to rise to the top and get the results that the clients want has to be written in a way that gets the result. And if you can't do that, then the clients are going to go to someone who can. So what happens often, they often start doing it themselves which is fair enough. And then they realise we're not getting the results or we're not getting the conversions that we thought or we're spending it on pay-per-click and then we're getting them to the site but the site's not converting. So they realise there's an issue. So in my opinion, the content marketing um, explosion will continue but it's about, well, it's not just about writing content, it's how good can the content be and how, how much attention can it draw into mm. the target market. So it's a good time to get into the industry. Oh, look, I think so. And you think about journalists, poor blighters, you know, I feel for them because trained writers who are being tossed out, retrenched, and they've got to survive and they're turning to PR in droves and that's fine. PR's on the increase as well. But, you know, their writing skills, um, that's, their, that's their skill. 
and and I think there's a real potential for those types of writers. All they need is a little bit of a shift, a little bit of a, a sort of a change in the way that they write in terms of the templates and the structure, and to think commercially and think towards a result. It's quite a different skill, but they're already good writers. So it doesn't take much to actually become a copywriter. And then you can earn a lot more, to be quite frank. Yeah, well, I'm going to get on to that too. But for those people who are interested then, they have that core skill potentially and they're interested in getting in getting into this field, how then do you think is the best way to break in? Because that you can sit there and go, I want to be a copywriter, but what do you do next? Yeah. Look, one thing is about your belief in yourself. And I'll give you a quick story, which is how I developed the belief that I could be a writer because as I said I was account service I was very much in that corporate I'm not creative and a friend of mine ran an advertising agency and I used to um, see him all the time for lunch and he seemed to have a really good lifestyle you know I thought and it was only a couple of them in the agency I said John who writes all your copy he says I do and I said but you're in a suit you're an account service you couldn't possibly write the copy so no of course I do and I well, I'd like to do that, but I just don't think I've got the right to call myself a writer because I haven't had any training. And he said, well, look, let me ask you this. Do you write proposals? I said, yes. He says, do you write some of the copy that comes back from the client to, you know, amend it? I said, yes. He says, have you written essays at high school, you know, in uni? I said, yes, of course. He says, you're a writer. What are you waiting for? Is someone to come along and anoint you, you know, to say you are now a writer, you know, off you go. And it was a really formative moment for me because I thought, you know, who else is going to tell me I'm a writer except me? So that day, I believed I'm a writer. I went out and started calling myself a writer and I felt like, you know, a bit like a fraud to be honest, you know, <laughs> saying I'm a writer, uh, like Fon's trying to say, sorry. And I just thought, you know, I've just got to commit to it. And then what happened was when I did, nobody blinked an eye. Mm. I said, oh, that's very nice. <laughs> what are you writing? They, they just took me on face value. And that was a really interesting moment too. So from that moment on, I said, okay, that's it. I'm a writer. And, and that's what I encourage my students to do is to step up and actually commit to it, own it. And so to get started, firstly, it is saying that to people that you say, look, I've been a lawyer or I've been a journalist. I'm now moving into copywriting. It's a very legitimate thing to say and it tell, you, you've got to tell people that this is what you do because your first client clients will come from people you know. Yeah, absolutely. Because once people know what you do, they go, oh, wow, I've got this friend who's got this hobby farm and they're selling goats, you know, or milk or alpacas or whatever. They need a website. Can you give them a hand? And that would be the second step is to actually volunteer to write copy for people who need that done. Now, you can either do that for free or I actually suggest do it for contra. So instead of giving for free, which people don't value. Get some goats. Get some goats. <laughs> Get some jackets. Get some you know? <laughs> yeah. We can all do with an alpaca in our backyard. Yeah. So I reckon go, go for something that's equally valuable um, and, and obviously choose like choose a five-star hotel to work for or you know, <laughs> yeah. alcohol company or something that you want. And not uh, my first uh, freebie, I remember this so it was with a personal training company and this is a long time ago when personal training was just started and I thought I could have really picked a different company because I got free personal training. <laughs> like who wants free personal training? Anyway, I did. So that, was, that would be what I recommend. And then um, start um, looking around you. I think awareness is a really important factor. Think about all the billboards you see. You think about all the signage in terms of, you know, don't, don't leave your coffee cup, you know, in the dish, in the, in the sink kind of signage. This is all copy. And so you can start to see, well, how can I actually improve upon that? And, and looking for, you know, formulas and the templates, which is what I teach, but 
Obviously, you won't know that unless you enrol. But, you know, there's all sorts of structures within copy that if you know what they are, then you start to see them. You go, aha, they're using that formula and they're using that. And then you see this just join the dots to some to some degree. And it becomes really exciting because you think this is not a mystery anymore. I know exactly what they're trying to do and I know how they're doing it. And so it becomes a detective puzzle. You think, wow, that's clever. Look at the way they did that. And it really is about getting people to, you know, to have influence. I love that piece of advice that if you're starting out and you need to get some runs on the board, don't do it for free, but do it for contra. It's, it's fantastic. It's a win-win because then you, you get some stuff for your portfolio. And, um, yeah, who knows? You might be able to renovate your house that way. Well, I've got my deck <laughs> done that way. Don't tell the ATO. But anyway, I have. Um, but also, it's about confidence too because you think, look, I don't want to charge for my services because I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite certain. But by giving contra... It's, it's kind of a low-level low sort of exchange. And if you muck up or it doesn't work out, you say, I'm really sorry, let me try it again. But, you know, when money's involved, it, it does take on a different tone. And I think while you're getting started, it's really nice just to build up your confidence uh, by using the Contra method. So let's talk about money. Uh, I, I agree with that approach. But once you've got your confidence and you think that you can start charging... How actually do, you, do copywriters charge? Because when you write a postcard, as you mentioned before, or a small ad, which is, which is only little in, in the newspaper, um, or even a, a web page or whatever, it's so different to what many editorial writers are used to, which, and because they're used to be being paid per word. And, you know, there's not going to be that many words on a postcard. <laughs> there's $3 for you. Go out and yeah, go crazy. So how do you price your projects? Yeah, look, we definitely don't do it by the word. And and actually, when I heard that, because I'm not a journalist, I've done quite a bit of writing for papers, but I'm not a journalist in that true respect. And when I heard, like, a girlfriend of mine's a journo, and she was writing this amazing magazine piece, really detailed, really long. And when I heard what she got paid for it, I was shocked. I just thought, wow, what a bargain for the for the magazine, but terrible hourly rate for you. Um so I know that's how it's done in a lot of respects. So in terms of copywriting, I look, we could talk for hours on this, Valerie, but what I, I just sort of sum up by saying that I try and get my students to charge by value. And, and by that, what I mean is, and I'll do it by way of example, there's a client that I just worked with recently and he was, um, he's a training company and he was putting a tender into a council for a major, you know, Three or $400,000 project over a five-year period. And the tender was very important. As you know, with these government things, they absolutely look at the tender. And if it's not on the tender, it's not on the page. So uh, that tender was very valuable to him. So, you know, then you think about, well, the work that I'm doing for him is equally valuable because if he gets this, there's 300000 in his pocket and it might have been 15 hours work. So, you know, you've got to value what you bring to the project. So there's one way of doing it, which is value. So it's not hourly based. And I, in fact, I really encourage my students not to do hourly rate because what happens is, let's say it's $100, just pull a figure out of the air. And then they go and you know, price check that against someone else and that person says it's 80 an hour. So right there, you've kind of lost the job because I think, well, I'm going to go with the, the cheapest. Now, they might take different number of hours to do the job. So right there, it's not even a valuable you know, measurement. So firstly, I recommend a project fee. It's a flat fee um, and, and that can then you know, be negotiated because there's no union here. 
you know, there's no price card. So it really does come down to the copywriter having the confidence to state a fee. And then there's all, there is a bit of a dance in terms of the, like any product, unless you go to a hairdresser and you say, that's $50, thank you. And you pay it and that's done. But in a service like this, where every job is different, it, it does come down to a couple of negotiation tactics, which I teach in my course, but that's obviously, you know, we won't go into that right now. So it's a business and you have to, um, you know, stand up for what you you believe in and what you represent and, and know your bottom line. So I'm not going to do it for that. I absolutely agree with the project fee because also and one of the things that I teach my students is that when you are quoting on something like that, it also depends on your client because they could be a really efficient client who really knows what they want, who can brief you really well, or they could be a client who you know to be, you know, very nice people, but who take a lot longer to extract the information from, have to go through multiple levels of approval and all that kind of thing. So you would actually price it differently based on your experience with them as well. Absolutely. And and the other factor is complexity. If you think about, uh, you know, just take, take a personal trainer, it's not that hard to get your head around what they do. Mm. But then you get a job with an insurance company yep. or a financial company, SMSF, yep. like I'm doing at the moment, very complicated. So you've got to really understand that industry. So it's, it's like danger money, you know. You've yeah, exactly. I, I've mentioned to people, I've also charged danger money when I've dealt with some clients who I know I have to deal with a difficult person within their <laughs> team. And, and I say to them, if, you, if I have to deal with that person, that's no problem, but it's a double rate. <laughs> <laughs> It's true danger money. <laughs> but anyway, um, now apart from obviously an interest in writing and skills in writing, what other, you know, either characteristics or personality traits or, or, or you know, what <laughs> do, mm. does a person need if they want to be successful as a copywriter? Yeah, look, journalists, you know, I have to go back to the journalism because every journalist, and I've got lots of friends who are journalists and I, um, I don't know why, but I just have... You ask questions, you know, you're really interested in people. Mm. People, you know, the people who make great copywriters, they're curious and they don't just stop with what do you do? They go, but why did you become that? You know, and, and then what do you like about being that occupation? You know, they absolutely drill down because they're in keenly interested in other people. They're keenly interested in popular culture, you know, what's mm. going on in the news, what's going on in world politics. So this tends to be the people that I have in my student base, generally really well educated or very smart. Um, that's not to say if you haven't had a degree because sometimes the best writers are those who are absolutely really, you know, larrikin, mm. you know, they, 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 they speak in the vernacular and that's another talent as well is being able to actually speak as you write mm. because I actually get a lot of academics too. And interestingly, mm. they, they kind of struggle sometimes because they're so used to writing in a very formulaic way, yeah. a very formal and very accurate. And in copywriting, you've got to be really loose. You know, it, it's, it's conversational. You want people to start reading that as if they were, you know, hearing it. Mm. So it's, it's kind of a different skill to academic writing, but, we, um, but those types of people do tend to uh, like it because they're writers. Um, so they've written a lot and they, they think, well, I wouldn't, wouldn't mind loosening it up a bit. So those people, for example, the academics or, you know, the other people who um, you come across who want to move into copywriting, typically why? Why have, do they want to move into copywriting if they've been academics or whatever career they've been in? Mm. What's the main reason people have moved into copywriting in your experience? There's lots of reasons why people want that. One is flexibility. 
in that if you want to become a freelance copywriter, it's enormously flexible because you can write at any time of the day. You can write wherever you want and you choose your clients. If you're a freelancer, you choose the clients and you choose the products that you work on. So it's enormously attractive from that respect. You work it around your family. Like I pick up my son every day from school. You know, I just have total control over my diary. I think the other thing is it is well paid. If you are going to do it um, and you do get some experience and you do have some runs on the board, you can make really good money and with no overheads. You know, there's no staff, there's no product, there's no um, office required and it's a very portable job. So a lot of people like it because they can travel with it and they can go on holidays. Like, it doesn't matter where I am. As long as I've got a computer, um, I can work. So um, from the academic point of view, I think also people want to have some more freedom in their lives. They don't want to work for bosses anymore. Um, those days of having to put up with really toxic work environments, I think is coming to an end and people are searching for something that they can do. Maybe it's even part-time. You know, they do three days a week at whatever job they've got and maybe two days a week copywriting or building their business. So it's um, lots of people do it for different reasons and I think it's just interesting. You know, if you're interested in the world, if you're interested in, in what's going on, then it, I believe every product has a story. And, you know, I'm just looking at my desk here and there's, you know, a stapler. I had, I had to buy a stapler the other day and they range from about $3 to $30. And I'm thinking, how could they be so different? And so I'm thinking there's a world within the stapler world, you know, there's obviously weight and, you know, the type of metal it's made from. And if I was, if they were my client, that's what I'd have to get into. I could say, well, what makes this stapler different to another? And what are the benefits of that? And why is this one 30 and that one's $2? So, you know, every product has a story and I'm interested in that. And it's until you really get into it, you don't realise I'm going to put you on the spot a bit because, but I feel it's important to ask this question because I know that it's a question on everyone's lips who's listening. And that is, I mean, obviously you've been doing it for many years and so you're earning a certain amount. But for some people who are interested in, you, you said that it can, you can make a lot of money or, you know, you make, or you can make more money than potentially in the world of journalism or whatever or, or other types of freelance writing. So let's say somebody is starting out, they've done their control with the fitness trainer. <laughs> They've yes. done their contract with the goat farm <laughs> and with the decking place so they can add a it's deck ordered. to their house. So they're now going to charge money. And I know that you're not a fan of the hourly rate, but can you give us some kind of indication whether that's giving us an idea of what a brochure might cost or what mm. a website might cost? And, and, and obviously that's going to be different whether you're working for Coca-Cola or you're working with the small to medium business yeah. you know, down the road. But you put the parameters on there and perhaps give people some kind of idea or even a range? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the thing to think about is it does come back to the copywriter because I've had students come through the course and they haven't even been in the course a month and they're out there charging 350 400 for a web page off the bat. That's just their belief. They believe they're worth it. They've got the skill, even if they don't. They, they're out there charging that and they're getting it. And there are other students who think, you know, I've happy with $50 an hour or I'm happy for $150 a page for a website. So it's really about who, who's actually quoting and it's what the client will bear because some clients will absolutely pay five, $600 for a 400-word blog, no, no problem at all. Um, other clients say, I'm not paying more than $250 for a blog. And so it depends on the client that you find and it depends on what you quote. So I hope I'm answering the question, but you know, I say to my students, 
um, what would you be happy to do it for? And so they might say, look, you know, I've only been earning 20 bucks an hour because I've been working in a chemist. So for me, $50 an hour is an absolute win. I'm happy for that. And others will say, look, I've, I've been a marketing manager. I've been, ex, you know, I've been on $200,000 a year for years. I'm going to charge $350 an hour. And, and I'm an SEO copywriter, so I'm going to charge a premium on top of that. And they might not, they charge $800 for a web page, including SEO. So SEO is, for people who don't understand, search engine optimization. It's a style of writing that um, if you're going to focus on web and digital writing, it helps you get found by Google. And there's a certain art to it. You know, there's a dance between uh, writing for the person who's reading it, and there's a certain art in writing for Google. And you've got to marry those two disciplines together. And it's not difficult, but it is an art. And so people who are focusing on becoming an SEO will absolutely be able to charge a premium because nobody just wants to get on Google now. They want page one of Google. And there you've got to be a good writer to marry those two disciplines of Google and the human persuasion and make that work. So there's a huge variation, but I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you say, what would you be happy to get? And I have to emphasize to listeners that Ber Bernadette and I have not colluded on this. I did not ask Bernadette this question beforehand because this is something that I bang on about a lot is that you should charge an amount that you would be happy to get and that you would not resent. And if the client is happy with that amount, then you both are happy. So, you know, it's a win-win, right? Absolutely. And that resentful is a really good word because and we have not colluded. No. I'll, I'll back you up on that. But I say to my students, and I've certainly done this, I've agreed to a fee even though I've been like, I don't think that's enough. But for whatever reason, I've said yes because I wanted it or I needed it or whatever it might have been. And then I get into the job and I see how detailed and complicated and hard it is and how much time. And I go, I wish I'd never taken it. And I get resentful and I don't want to do it and I don't do my best work. And I think, I'm not going to do that again because it's not a good feeling. And I say that to my students, you know, if you go for it, you go for it, but you accept it knowing that you've got to live with it for however long it takes. And if you're going to feel resentful, don't accept it. Yeah, absolutely. Unless you really need the experience. It's mm, you mm, starting out. Yeah. So one of the things that magazine and newspaper writers and book writers – Often that I often hear, I often hear this from them because um, they think of copywriting as because you've defined it earlier as um, uh, writing words that influence people, and often that's influencing people to buy. Not always, but you know they they think of it as sales copy. So and and they just it's like they're allergic to the word sales, and they don't feel that they can or want to write sales copy, or or, or there's something about it that they find difficult. What's your suggestion on how to get over that so that they can break into to this more lucrative field? Yes, it's a really interesting area because nobody likes to sell anything, mm. you know, and nobody likes to be thought of as, as, you know, being a sales copywriter because it's got that connotation. In fact, sales has got a really bad word these days, <laughs> it's got a really bad rep for some reason. So, I, I, firstly, I think there's two questions within that, Valerie. One is, I don't believe we have to sell our services at all. I don't do a hard sell on clients. I don't encourage my students. People either want copywriting or they don't. And then the time will come when they might need it and the first person they should think of is you because you've been setting a marketing process in place so that you become the choice, you know, the first choice. So it's actually a marketing 
process that I encourage my students to go through where they set up, again, I won't go into too much detail, but, you know, set up a business so that you're building a database of people who are interested. You're keeping in touch with them on a regular basis. You're giving them great content, entertaining, useful. When the day comes, when they want to sell the company or when they've just got a big client or they want to do a tender and your email happens to land in their inbox, copywriter, that's who we need. So it's about the need, you know, and people come into the market and out of the market um, for all sorts of reasons. So when you think, I'm going to sell copywriting service, people don't, you don't sell it, you know, people need it and you happen to be there and they choose you. So that's kind of the perspective I use. And even from the perspective of, I don't want to be writing copy for companies who, who I don't believe in or I don't want to be this hardcore internet sales, you know, writer. You see these really long internet letters which are really in your face, very sort of American in some respects, even though we do them here. My perspective is, you know, there's lots of companies out there, really ethical and all sorts of companies who need copywriting. Like I was just on a coaching call earlier today with a student who's in the natural organics area and they sell you know, chemical-free cosmetics and creams and sunscreens. That's a really reputable product and it's a really needed product for people who've got issues with chemicals. So, you know, you might think, I'm really passionate about a certain topic or I'm really passionate about, you know, human rights or I'm passionate about books. Well, then write in that industry, you know, write for companies who do that. And I actually say to my students, tap into something you already know about. You may not want to write about it forever, but to get started, you know, if you're a teacher, then write for an education company, you know, do what you know and then move on to other areas that you want to work in. So I think it's, it's a mindset, Valerie. It's not about I've got to be a sales type person to sell it. It's like, no, it's not my style and I certainly don't encourage it in my students. And, and the other thing I didn't really touch on because I was sort of focused on journalists because you're asking, you know, who, who sort of, who does it remind me of, you copywriters, but writers of novels and creative writers are actually very well cut out for copywriting for one really good reason and actors too, people who in the business of channeling. You know, you think about when you're writing stories and you've got characters, you're living that character. You are absolutely embedded in that character's emotional world. And the ability to do that is very related to copywriting because you've got to walk a mile in the shoes of your customer. So if I'm writing for senior citizens who are choosing a retirement agency or retirement home, I can't write from the perspective of Bernadette because that's not my world. I've got to live that world of that 68-year-old woman who's a widow, who's getting dementia, say, and even from her children's point of view, you know, they're going to make the decisions about what home that mother goes to. So I've got to walk a mile in those shoes of those people to see what are their issues, what are their worries, their fears. And that's, I think, really related to creative writing and character-driven, you know, content because you've got to understand other people's point of view and you've really got to write from that perspective. And that's what I love about it because you literally, you're channeling the voice, you're channeling the tone 
the personality of the audience that you're writing for. So it's extremely connected to creative writing. I must admit I've never actually thought about it that way, but you're so right. But one of the things I'm really excited about is the fact that you are working with us um, and you're, you are bringing your course to the Australian Writers' Centre. And um, I've been wanting to, for the Australian Writers' Centre to have a copywriting course for ages and I have searched high and low for the right copywriter. And uh, finally, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, as I've mentioned, I, I've known Bernadette for nine years and I've actually watched uh, what she's done over the last nine years and she is one of Australia's most respected copywriters and I really admire the way she teaches. And I have gone through the course and I think it's fantastic. I think it's an incredible amount of teaching, an incredible amount of value. But perhaps you can tell us, Bernadette, um, what can people expect from the course, which is called Copywriting Essentials, Get Started as a Professional Copywriter. What can people expect from it if they do it? Okay. In terms of what they're going to get out of it. Yes. I think what people, if they're thinking about becoming a copywriter, but they don't know how to get started or they don't have a starting point, it can be very confronting to just start thinking, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm just going to become one. And then you get a client, you think, well, what do I do now? I've got this blank screen where do I begin? So what this course gives people is almost like the driving instruction manual, you know, to say, if you get a client, this is the first thing that you do. This is the second thing that you do. And this is how to write any number of of pieces of of copy. So it's actually not medium driven, whether it's blogs, websites, social media, press, print, TV, it's irrelevant. It's the process by which you write it. It's the process by which you interview your client. So, you know, I go through a briefing process and it's very important that, you know, you may not understand anything about staplers, but by the end of this briefing process, it's a 21-point briefing document, you will understand everything you need to know and more about staplers. <laughs> and then you apply that to every product. Because a girlfriend of mine says, look, with all due respect, Benedict, you know, how do you know about that product? What gives you the right to write about that product that you've never touched bought or needed. And I said, it doesn't matter. I said, I've got a process of questioning. So no no matter what it is, I can get to the heart of who that market is, what they need, what are the benefits, what's the tone, what's the objective. You know, you go through this whole process. So it gives you a roadmap, Valerie. And the analogy of the driving instruction is just say you want to drive a car, you can sit in the driver's seat and you've got the steering wheel and you've got the pedals and you've got the buttons and you've got this and that. And theoretically, you could probably drive it, you know, go bunny hopping, you know, make a few accidents, but you could drive. And it's the equivalent with copywriting. You could start on your own, no question. But if you had a guide, if you had a template, if you had some structures um, that enabled you to sort of do one step in front of the other, so you know the right order, you know, you can save a lot of time and you can save a lot of headache and heartache and make money a lot more quickly because you'll be proud of your content. You'll be able to say to the client, this is good, I know it's good and I need to be paid for this. So it's about having a, a pathway, I guess, to, to expertise. Well, I can't wait to launch the course because I know it's going to help so many people. But um, thank you so much for sharing your insights into, well, not only the course, but also your life as a copywriter. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Valerie. Thanks for listening. And thanks for being on the show. Pleasure. So that was Bernadette Schwert. Uh, 
Did you enjoy Fantastic. that? I did, yes. I, I, I um, do a little bit of copywriting myself but it's always interesting to hear, you know, different perspectives and also, mm. as you say, like where to find the work, how to find the work, you know, all the different things that, that come into it because um, it's sometimes not as straightforward necessarily. You can't just pitch to a magazine, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, no, it's good. Good so to hear. So here's a sneak, uh, you know, peek, not a sneak peek but a special message to all listeners. Uh, We've got something special for you. If you go to copywritingessentialscourse.com, that's copywritingessentialscourse.com, and download the course I outline, we will send you some information and you'll be uh, eligible for an exclusive pre-order offer, which you may or may not decide to take up, but I reckon Ooh. you've got to be in it to win it. So uh, download the course outline to receive the special pre-order offer. And um, if you're listening to this in the future, <laughs> this pre-order offer may no longer be available. <laughs> <laughs> but currently in December 2014, I strongly recommend that you go to copywritingessentialscourse.com to download the course outline and um, you might get a little surprise just before the course is launched. So just a bit mysterious there. But what's our working writer's tip this week, Al? Well, I guess it's um, it's an interesting one. It's uh, something that I think that all freelance writers, no matter what sort of stage of their career they're up to, will will probably be with me on in the sense that um, I often get asked how I manage those Christmas deadlines because mm-hmm. you often find at this time of year, no matter how long you get to do a job or when it's due or all those sorts of things, everybody wants everything on Christmas Eve. Yeah. And even if they're not going to be back in the office until mid-January, which can be a little frustrating from the from the writer's perspective, um, but it's a matter of how do we manage those, you know, 26 different deadlines that are all due on the 24th of December. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what are you, what's your advice for that, Val? You work like crazy. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was going to say. I don't sleep much at this time of year. I get everything in and then I just like lie down for two weeks afterwards. Yeah, you work like crazy. But actually my bigger issue, which is always, which is also related to this time of year, particularly when it comes to magazines, and I'm currently putting uh, together, uh, I'm in the production period over this Christmas period, um, is, and that's okay. You can time the printers around Christmas, but what you can't time, and this is an issue every single year, and fortunately I've had enough experience now to know that you have to do this way, way early, is that people go on holidays. So the the talent actually goes on holidays and they don't want to chat to you while they're in Noosa or Fiji or the Swiss Alps. They don't. And so if you're organising an interview, you think, oh, I'll interview them in January. Don't assume that, you know, they're going to be there because, you know, Carla Zampatti is going to be, uh, it goes to Europe for the summer and -and so-and-so will be on their yacht wherever. So that is actually, for me, the harder part is making sure I nail... As, as I lock everyone in either well before they go away or yeah. I, at the very least I ask them the question, are you going away yes. so that I can then schedule accordingly? Yeah, I have exactly the same thing. And and that actually, look, I often find that is more difficult to manage than the Christmas deadlines mm. because I'm I'm on track aiming all my stuff ready for the 24th, but I'm also interviewing for everything that's due on the 18th of January oh. because I just know that I'm not going to be able to get the people that I want over that three-week break. So it's, it's kind of really 
I think people focus way too much sometimes on that 24th of December mm. without thinking, oh, you know, what have, what have I got due in January and who is going to be around for me to yeah. talk to? And if you've got case studies, oh. if you need case studies, mm. then I suggest you get those interviews done in the next week. Yep, definitely. <laughs> Definitely. If you can. <laughs> Try and get them in. Yeah, definitely. Now, I was browsing through my inbox today, Al, and I popped oh. your newsletter. Oh, there you go. How, there how I was. How frequently do you send it? Um, I, only once a month. I'm, I'm, not a, um, I'm not an inbox clutterer. I just feel like, you know, if people want to hear from me, once a month seems to be enough. So I send out a, a monthly update. I include some... Uh, some freelance writing stuff. I include some fiction writing stuff. I include some updates about the Mapmaker Chronicles for those who are interested. But just a general sort of newsy thing of what's of what's going on in Alice and Tate land at any mm. given time. Um, and I always try to include something that's exclusive to the newsletter that you won't see on the blog or you won't see on Facebook or whatever like that. So um, yeah, it's a very it's a merry little band of subscribers that I have, and um, I, I think everyone should join. Come yeah. come say hello. Sign Subscribe to, to my newsletter. Yeah, yes, sign up to. Alison's newsletter, what I really like about it um, and I find useful is that you you curate some really interesting links to very useful uh, either articles or resources, you know, and invariably I find one that I either find really interesting or I learn something from or, um, you know, I think somebody else is going to find interesting. So, you know, I'm actually, I want to ask you about that. Do you like store them somewhere and then and then put them in the newsletter or do you remember oh I remember I had that interesting link about x I got to go find it now well I do I keep like I obviously because I'm of I'm often tweeting them in various places I you know because I run social media for the Australian Writers Centre as well I am online all the time looking for writing you know really and and the thing that I read them all. Like mm. I know lots of people will just retweet or will just, you know, buffer or will just do whatever because the headline sounds interesting. Mm. But I actually read them all. And I also keep them on Pinterest. I have two oh. Pinterest boards, one for the Australian Writers Centre and I also keep an Alison Tate Pinterest board and I keep a lot of stuff. Like if I see it, I pin it because then I know I can always go back and find it again. Um, and I just I just basically like I share the ones in the newsletter that I found really interesting or really mm. useful. Some of them are mine. Some of them are ones that have proved very, very popular on my own site and then there's a lot of stuff that's obviously I've, I've found in other places. But, um, yeah, like I'm reading a lot and I try to share the best of that. So it's pro- it's a proper curation. It's great. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad you like it, Val. <sighs> anyway, so that brings us to the end of our podcast. So, um, what are you up to this coming week? Oh well, I'm just going to try and meet all those Christmas deadlines, Val. Yes. <laughs> Plus, I have the I have the boys uh, finishing up school this week, so I'll oh. have you know two boys and a puppy to worry about at home, wow. which is just like having three puppies, really. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'll be doing that and and trying to get all the Christmas. I mean, I I've, I went out and you know ordered my ham today, so I'm at least oh. you know got that going on. But I haven't actually done anything else that's useful for Christmas Day yet, so I've got to do that too. Oh, oh it's God. it's a busy time of year, Valerie. Really yes. is. Very busy. What about you? What are you doing? I am heading to Melbourne for a few days because um, I uh, am organising a course 
called So You Want to Be a Photographer. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I'm working with celebrity photographer Gina Militia and I'm producing it for her. So that wow. should be fun. That'll yeah. Be busy. Okay. So we'll be doing a lot of photo shoots with, you know, models and, um, you know, showing people how to set up and how to pose people and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's what I'll be Fantastic. doing this week. Oh, that'll be fun. Yes. Anyway, um, if you have a question for us, please do email us, podcast at writerscentre.com.au or check out our show notes, writerscentre.com.au slash podcast. You can find Alison online where? At alisontate.com. And you can find me at Valerie Koo on Twitter. So uh, feel free to give us a shout out. We'd love to hear from you. If you do have 30 seconds to leave us a uh, review on iTunes, we'd really be grateful. So until next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.